0: Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guests today are architects Emily Anderson and Jeff De Old. Our conversation is being recorded today by Zoom. Emily Anderson is a co-founding principal of De Old anderson Architecture, an architecture and design partnership based in Omaha, Nebraska. Emily is also a guest lecturer at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where she has taught both fundamentals courses as well as upper-level undergraduate studios for the last nine years. Emily grew up in Nebraska, but her practice has been informed by experience gained while working in New York City as an associate architect at Slade Architecture. Jeff DeOld is a co-founding principal of DeOld Anderson Architecture and is a graduate of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln College of Architecture. Prior to starting DAA in 2010 in Brooklyn, New York, Jeff was an associate principal at New York firm Studios Architecture, where he learned the practice of architecture working on headquarters for Bloomberg LP, Gray Advertising, and IAC. old Anderson Architecture's interests lie in the design of buildings and spaces that always consider the public sphere. In this capacity, D.A.A.'s work aims to strengthen neighborhoods, amplify human interaction, and activate public spaces. Emily and Jeff... Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: So just off air, we were were just chatting and I said people may have preconceptions about what architects are and being in the practice of the field, it may not be something that you think about at a basic fundamental level. So um, what do architects do?
2: Architects design buildings and spaces, but um, within that, there's really uh, a lot of different facets of that architects practice in many different ways. Um, so you, you may be working in more of a niche or you, in our case, we don't work so much in a niche. We have a pretty broad range of projects that we we uh, work on. But I guess at, at the most basic uh, level, we're, we're designing spaces and buildings.
1: Yeah, and um, I, I think the, the the question or the, topic of the the niche that a lot of architects practice in. Um, A lot of architects might specialize and, or depending on where they they are practicing, might do a lot of just bathroom and kitchen renovations. I I think on the coast, you'll find that a lot of clients absolutely need an architect to help them design their bathroom or their kitchen. And I, I think that's something that we started to see when we began our practice in New York, we'd actually have people call us about um, helping them with their bathrooms and their kitchens. Um, so that's one end of the spectrum that architects well, can it, certainly help at. Meaning
2: the larger the city, the more niche there there is, right? So um, typically in Omaha, Nebraska, you know, you, you would hire a contractor and between you and the contractor, you sort of, uh, put a, you know, you sort of piece of it's selecting a, a product or, or whatever. There, there's places also that it just has to do with like even permitting or these sort of things. A lot of people don't know what we do, you know, and why, why would you hire an architect when I can just work with a contractor to, to do this? It's been really interesting for us um, learning what, what working here means um, and In some ways that's been frustrating, but in some ways it's been rewarding because we'll work on, you know, little projects just to help somebody get a permit and it's somebody with a small business who um, is to help them grow their business or, you know, like a small renovation for a house and we're not, you know, it's not like the most exciting work, but it provides a service. That's been interesting for us because I think a lot of our prior experience was working on very high-end, you know, interiors or other types of projects, and so it's a, a complete sort of one eighty for, for you know, what what our experience was in New York versus what we're what we're doing now.
0: Some of the themes that you're talking about get to discerning what is that distinction between what you might ask a contractor to do and what you might need an architect to do, because it feels to me, and this is very much a layman's interpretation, but a contractor thinks about things in terms of the logistics and engineering and and, and does this stuff do what it's supposed to. Whereas I think of architects more as philosophers of how we interact with a space, and maybe that's an unfair comparison. I
2: think people have the misconception that architects, they're just adding style to, to a space. In fact, that's, that's the opposite. Uh, generally we do think big and, you know, when we're approaching a project, we're, t- you know, we're looking at a local project and it may be, you know, a small retail space, but I might also be thinking about that in a sort of, you know, philosophical way. You know, we, we often reference art um, for our projects and, um, or, uh, you know, other projects, um, internationally, um, just purely out of like understanding a a set of precedent that might apply, um, but also help us think about the project. There's also the functional aspect that I would argue that as we also just at a very practical functional, uh, level, we also make spaces function better, but then we're also simultaneously trying to make that space beautiful and, Um, interesting and, you know, architects, some of the architects we really love and respect in terms of uh, big-name architects, they're making cultural critiques when they're creating a building. Um, And that is fundamentally, like, super interesting to us, you know, that um, there is that sort of bigger picture.
0: I'm excited to get into that part of a conversation around cultural critiques, Um, but I'm I'm going to make sure I don't miss asking for, say, just an illustrative case study of of something you've done that you feel had some particular interest and might be an interesting case study of the work you do and how you go about your work.
2: So we're working with uh, a plant nursery, Mohols, a big one here in Omaha, and um, we've really enjoyed working on this project they're frankly an an awesome client because there's sort of like this uh, interest in in those bigger ideas and what does their space mean in the context of Omaha, but also simultaneously looking outside of of that in in like the bigger understanding of retail experience. Um, There's so many like cultural influences in that and it, 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 it has to do with the time and moment. I think that that's been a good opportunity to sort of think about who they are, what what their sort of campuses, in, in a sense, and what are what are the possibilities.
1: Right, so, and in that case, it's because we've been working with them for almost two years, and that conversation is kind of it began with a, a big picture. Um, what what is Mulholl's? What's the the appropriate expression of the spaces that they work and how does that relate to the customer experience broadening out what, what's the appropriate way forward as they have these different campuses. They have, they have property at Fort street and 120th street, their main retail center is at 120th and Maple and making sure that any work that we do is always coming back to understanding Um, what what are the the planning principles um, that we should be applying as we're helping them reimagine these campuses um, down to individual spaces that we're working on? What is the consistent material and finish palette? How does that relate to um, material expression of space? How are we crafting light? Um, Because what's exciting about the Mohol's work is They're really good at greenhouses and and greenhouses are usually Lexan or polycarbonate, the sort of plastic material that has thermal qualities, but has a really great light quality. And then how can we leverage that to help them redefine their employee or staff workplace? Um, using those, that similar material palette.
2: Yeah, but also with always a focus on creating democratic spaces, which I think find really interesting because it always, the the big ideas of what we do as designers, again, because we can, it's very easy as a designer to like throw costs at a project. But in fact, what we're always questioning is what is the value of what we're doing and how does that always in the end benefit their employees or their customers? there is sort of like a bigger philosophy there that I, I think has allowed us like it, it's even sort of changed the way we think about um, what we do as designers uh, because uh, in fact, scaling back and doing less um, is also, is also design, you know, design in the sense when do when you actually need something and when is it just feel added or like too much.
1: Yeah. It, there it's been really trying to get at what, what is an honest expression or honest use of a material and trying to do the most with the least within this palette um, that's kind of already established that we're tweaking as we go along.
0: So you talked about architecture at the beginning being about sort of the design of building and space. And I think it's really easy for someone like me who's not an architect to think about the thing, the tangible element that is three dimensional construct that is in my life experience, my house, uh, the street architecture, this kind of thing. But it's much harder to readily observe the space space itself as a concept that is occupied by these things, and also the space that is between all of these physical things. I think architects play, in that sense, a sort of really powerful, if slightly invisible role for how people like me encounter the world. So would you maybe talk about that part of how you balance things, especially about the space design?
2: Well, so I I think one of our biggest takeaways from having lived in New York City was our understanding of public space. And, you know, we spent most of our time when we first moved there just walking around neighborhoods. And that was the best thing ever. I mean, there's no more sense of freedom I ever got from just being able to walk, you know, and have this sense of being happily distracted. Um, Just all the interesting stuff that you would see. In many ways, we think that buildings play a backdrop. We're, We're always interested in the interface of that building to that space. Um, And so in what public space is, and if something feels truly public is extremely important. Um, I was recently in Seattle and visited the Seattle Public Library again, which is by Rem Koolhaas, very important piece of architecture. When I first went to that 10 years ago, it felt like the most public space I've ever been in it feels incredibly democratic. And I went back again um, a couple weeks ago to see if I had that same feeling and it, it does. And I don't know why, why that is, but um, the, the notion of public space is extremely important because it's disappearing from cities um, with pri- privately owned public spaces. And there's a danger also of not understanding what it means to have you know, what, what does public truly mean? It means that anybody can occupy that space and feel comfortable in it. Um, and so much of our public spaces in cities are contested. That said, I mean, it's not like we are, you know, we don't usually operate at that level. We're usually, do, you know, doing buildings or, or spaces. But I think one of our concerns is always sort of what is the interface of that building to, to the space around it? Like, what is what if we're doing housing, what does that mean to the neighborhood around it? Uh, you know, the, the, notion, the old school notion of a porch, there's a reason that that has existed. Recent history and housing and all kinds of architecture has gotten rid of those, those elements that provide that layering of space between the private and public realm. Um, and I, I would argue that that sort of layering, layered space is the kind of thing that we're usually, we're often interested in, in projects, if we have the opportunity to explore it.
1: Yeah, I, I think when architecture is at its best, it's really a simple container for what happens inside of a building. That the expression of that building is really driven by what's on the inside. It's the the, the, the programmatic or functional uses of it's inhabitants. And so if you imagine the needs of those inhabitants as pushing on the outside of this building, like a piece of clay from within that a a great building is really an expression of that and not a whole lot more that you're not getting into gussing it up with 10 different materials on the outside to, um, just kind of compose the, the shell of the building. Um, I think that's like really um, straightforward architecture expresses what's supposed to be happening on the inside of it. And then vice versa, it's what Emily's talking about. It's that architecture or that shell of the building is helping to craft the urban environment around it. Um, If you can sort of dilute architecture down to those two requirements, I think that's what interests us the most, that it's really not about itself. It's about crafting space on the
2: inside and outside of the building. Right. It's not about fetishized details or overly, a lot of architects do tend to focus on objects and my, you know, I, I think I've always believed ever since uh, grad school that, you know, that that marginalizes us as, as, as designers because uh, you're leaving yourself out of the bigger picture if you're just focusing on the minutest, you know, most that, that can only appeal to the people who, the 1% who have the money to afford that. You can do a lot creatively with that. Um, it's, it's it, for, for us, I, I think it's not that satisfying.
1: City of mine. How I love, how I
0: love the city of mine It never gets me down City of mine How I love, how I love the city of mine It never gets me down
2: Born in the city I was raised on its edges My pop work is
1: life When it's complex I find loving its center If I can live here forever Think it'd be for the better I love the weather Even though it's fog 24-7 I love the people This is city I met all my best friends And I want to thank every break. I want to thank every entrance To every building that I step in In this city of mine Oh you most my best moments in life See I fell in
2: love For the first time In Golden Gate Park I saw my first rap show At Great American Hall
0: I- You mentioned earlier a function of architecture as cultural critique. What role does architecture have to help this city be a more functional and also beautiful place for us to call a community?
1: Well, I, I think on one level, I, I think, and this is very important, um, given some of the some of the missteps this particular place has made over the last, say, in the post-war period. Mm -hmm. Um, where, where we've, um, sort of hollowed out our downtown, which we could talk about forever, um, in service of car storage, um, or we've neglected sort of some of our urban neighborhoods in service of doing the easy thing and building on greenfields. Um, so we're talking about, um, suburban expansion what's important today or with the opportunities that we have today is, and a lot of people are doing this is, um, showing the, the, the benefit or the, um, the importance of redeveloping our inner city and inner core urban neighborhoods. Then the buildings that are remaining, um, have tremendous value, um, both in terms of, um, it's more sustainable to, build and reuse these older buildings similar to what we're sitting in right now, which is a hundred, I think 110 year old um, commercial building on Vinton street. Um, And it's that incredibly valuable to just reuse those buildings and re inhabit those neighborhoods.
2: But but at the same time, as much as it seems like we've uh, ended up doing a lot of work in more urban areas. I mean, I I think a lot of our interest, and especially initially when we moved here was the Greenfield sites or the suburban areas of Omaha, which ultimately to me just seems like a collection of private properties. Your public space are these, you know, really massive um, grid of roads, maple, you know, for, you know, all the the grid of roads that extends to uh, West Omaha, that's our public space and you only occupy that by a car um, and we don't we don't really craft public spaces in that those portions of the city and I, I know that there are you know developments that have been there are certainly there's been a lot of movement towards making so-called town centers and, and whatever and I, I think that's that's great like we, we can't um, focus all of our energy in downtown Omaha because I think everybody deserves to have a walkable, some walkability in their neighborhood. Not that you're going to replicate Main Street. And I, I think one of our biggest annoyances is in this movement toward making better neighborhoods is this overly sentimentalized idea of like replicating old-fashioned architecture. Well, we work at a completely different scale in, you know, retail than we did in 19th century Main Street, right? It doesn't, it, it's not the same thing. So we have to there has to be some invention here. And I don't feel like a lot of invention happens uh, in these uh, newer parts of um, cities. Um, and I, I think it's an incredibly interesting um, place to actually be be working in um, uh, and, and trying to create places that, you know, are, are healthy because they have some degree of walkability. You might not have every like little convenience, but you know, some of that is there or just, creating some some degree of public space where people can actually share space. Um, I, I think one of the interesting things about Omaha is, um, again, like you experience it through your car. And I, I really, really miss taking the subways in New York because it makes you aware of all walks of life. And of course, um, we have uh, a much improved transit system here in Omaha, which is great. But though that... Public again is that public space where you are able to under you know start to just just being around other types of people I think is an important thing as a human being <laughs> you know just to have you know to create empathy or understanding you know and we don't have that in Omaha um, like not much of it.
0: The pandemic did help us rediscover the value of being locally hyper locally focused in our neighborhoods and also appreciating that if there's nowhere to drive to, then we were likely just to be walking around within what we think of as neighborhood. So maybe we're more primed than we have been for a long time to appreciate some of the opportunities that you're talking about, Emily. And if that principle holds true, if, if there is somewhere in Omaha that you think is a good example of somewhere that either has been redeveloped with that in mind, or has the potential for for that, um, you know, outside of downtown. I think everybody's really familiar with the idea of the old market and and that space, but I wonder if there's somewhere else in the city that you think is um, a good example of opportunity.
2: I actually think some of the areas where it's now old suburban development, like 114th street and Dodge, Mm -hmm. um, there's all this retail there, but there's houses immediately adjacent to it. (laughs) You know, you, it's not too difficult to imagine connecting those spaces. But I think it's where we are starting to see development that happened in like the 70s or 80s, even 90s, that is now um, no longer new and shiny and that there's been multiple tenants turned over um, and there's new redevelopment. And so I, I think that with, when redevelopment does happen in those older suburban areas, that um, it would be great to have more thoughtfulness uh, but that's difficult because again, it's like a series of you know, it's just a series of property owners, and so what's the impetus for for making that happen?
1: Yeah, I think that 114th and Dodge area, extending from Miracle Hills Drive all the way to I don't know whatever is immediately south of Dodge Street, has always been fascinating to me just because of its collection of urban substance. I think 114th Street does feel like it could be a, a human scaled boulevard. Um, and then I, I'm fascinated by the activity that happens or surrounds a Starbucks. Whenever we have a meeting in that area, I drop into Starbucks and it's packed. There's so much activity and people together. And I think you can leverage those things to help revitalize some of those neighborhoods that maybe didn't have, say, the pedestrian or the human experience in mind and with the the right collaboration between between maybe city entities and private developers leverage those areas to become not a replication of, say, downtown Omaha or what we think of Dundee or Benson, but the appropriate reflection of what sort of urban or public space should be in a suburban area.
2: Right. I mean, I I think it's interesting when you look at these spaces, you know, a lot of times some of these spaces are kind of like look vacant or like nothing's happening. If you really start to look at them and um, spend time in those locations, that you'll start to see all kinds of activity that aren't necessarily condoned or expected, right? That people actually will use the parking lots, well, you know, you'll see teenagers, like, um, I'm always observing public spaces, and like, I go to a lot of parks, and whatever the intended design is, people are using them differently, and um, kids will bring their motorbikes, or like, I I go a lot to the riverfront park in Council Bluffs, there's a lot of people fishing, Um, they'll pull their truck right up to the edge, and, and park, of course, there's a lot of homeless people that live in the the woodsy areas. When you do look at these spaces, it's interesting to start to recognize the things that are um, actually happening there. There is sort of like a, a ground up versus top down understanding of design, right? And so when you start to recognize what's actually happening there, um, I think you can let that inform the way you think about a space.
1: Yeah. Like or- like
2: the place at 114th <clears throat> and Dodge, there's this retail strip and there's like apartments right behind it. We're walking around there. Um, a long time ago and there was like a cut through between the fences so that people could go pick up their, you know, fast, you know, their, um, their food and it, we saw somebody going through there and I, you know, those little things are actually, people are just modifying their environments to, to make it work for them against what maybe the wishes of the design original designer was, you know? Um, so I think it's always interesting to look at those moments. The great yellow sun is
1: reflecting in your deep blue eyes, a day has begun. You spin around, you spin around, you laugh to yourself. And I see you shine in every color, resting your head in my arms. You sing la la la.
0: you're a husband and wife business team. I'm curious then about what that is like and why you decided to be in partnership together. Why did you decide to depart New York City, come to Omaha and to set up a business together?
2: Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we actually, so we actually had quit our jobs at the height of the recession in like 2009 or so
1: end of 2009 early 2010
2: and uh always the
0: best time to quit a job yeah Yeah. uh
2: and then we just we started doing our own thing we had some consultant work from our from our offices and um so uh but then ultimately you know just like anybody who You know, it just has to do with being able to have a a garden and a dog. Um, That's why we moved back. You know, a lot of it is just opportunity. Like being in New York, there was a lot of opportunity. And like, I, you know, we're able to meet and do things like I could have never imagined, but actually coming here, there's different types of opportunity. We wouldn't have the same practice there as here. And I'm much more excited about the practice we have here.
1: Yeah. At the time that we, um, left our jobs, this was actually in Brooklyn still. So the, the, the partnership or the practice was founded in New York city. Um, and so we practiced there for a couple of years before relocating to Omaha. Um, I think because Emily and I had gone through school together, we met in the college of architecture, um, tracked together during school, um, collecting our degrees along the way, and um, just coming from the same education background and being in the same profession. I don't think it's something that we implicitly had a goal of, of having our own studio together. Um, It just sort of happened, but it was, it sort of made sense or it was um, sort of natural that it happened because outside of our jobs, we'd maybe partner on competitions together or maybe do little very small side jobs together and i think when the time came to leave our jobs because for whatever we we each had our own reasons um to leave good stable jobs with good benefits at the height of the recession um you're really still (laughs) not selling it yeah, it, it, it didn't make a lot of sense at the time, but um, it was something that we just sort of fell into that we just kept rolling with.
2: Like, okay, well, let's...
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess we're uh, our own studio now.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that ever... I always kind of felt that I wanted to do our own thing, but I don't know... Uh, but, but somehow, so there was that wish, but then it, it's also, some of it was just like that also, like, oh, I guess this is, we're doing this and we're going to keep doing it.
0: You know, you're both artistic as well as um, technically gifted professionals and you both have a lot of experience. But you also mentioned the creative side of it and you mentioned referencing art, for example. I'm wanting to ask about how you balance The normal dynamic of tension, the give and take, the push and pull that comes not only just between any intimate partnership, but also a professional partnership too, especially one that's creating a vision for a project. So how do you balance both competing ideas and philosophies, but at the same time also making sure you avoid conforming to each other as well? You hold each other to account.
2: Hmm. Um, well, there's a lot of arguing. (laughs) Some people might refer to it as bickering, but that, that sounds even worse. (laughs) Um, I I don't know how to, I don't know. I I, I think,
1: you know, within our profession, and I don't know how healthy this Mm -hmm. is, um, your work really becomes foregrounded as, Everything else sort of revolves around it for better or worse. And I think in our case, I think we're still trying, we're still looking for that balance between live work and then how we balance um, how we work together. Um, We purchased the Emerging Trains building here on Benton Street. So our residence is above our studio. So, we're living and working out of the same building. Our work is always surrounding us. Um, if we're doing laundry on the weekend, whether doing it in the basement and then hanging on the line outside, we're always going through our studio. And so, that's always a part of our lives.
2: Yeah, you never, you kind of like <laughs> are always aware of all the stuff that you s- still have to do. <laughs> Like the, it is, it does, the separation, I, I would argue is actually a healthy thing. And um, I, I think having a separate living working space is probably more ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is what it is now. And um, it's very convenient for many reasons, but I, I think in the future, we may try to separate those two things.
1: Yeah, we, we definitely need to create a little bit more balance between the, the live and the work.
0: How did the pandemic bring the focus some of these elements?
2: I mean, it was like nothing changed, nothing changed. It was like, we were already set up for this. And in fact, we we feel very lucky because we had the office. I mean, we had an office space. We didn't have to find a bedroom to go work out of. In some ways we weren't really having to modify our behavior much. I mean, we- It
1: it was harder for our staff or the people that we collaborate Mm -hmm. with on a day-to-day basis because they ended up having to go to their living rooms and bedrooms um
2: which is i think it's harder that is a very hard situation because that ultimately is just a living space with a little space carved out with your computer versus we do have an upstairs and downstairs and those two spaces are are separate and so uh in fact i think it's more difficult for for other people uh besides us so
1: yeah and and then in terms of how we um, Emily and I work together. I, I, th- I think we have started to sort of carve out different roles out of necessity in terms of just how a small business needs to be run, where Emily has probably taken on more of the role of the, if we were to apply big firm terms, um, design director in our practice. I, I think everybody who works here is a really a designer at heart, but really you need that one person guarding design vision and design direction in a studio. And I've probably had to take on more of the role of office manager or office director, just taking project care,
2: manager, project
1: manager, or just taking care of the day to day of running a, a small studio in the business of it.
2: You know, I think like if, if we're talking about a project and if somebody has a really a good idea, I don't think that, It's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really angry because I want to do my idea. It's more like who has the best idea, you know, this sounds like a great idea, let's explore it and see where it goes. So I don't know that, um, like, we don't really, I don't think in many ways we sort of have conflict or have a strong will. It's more like, um, let's see, let's explore different things and, and see where it goes.
0: doing this business for quite a long time and successfully so, um, do you worry about the risk of becoming, um, maybe just getting into a rut because you know how to do things until you reach for the same toolkit and same concepts? How do you stay fresh? You're maintaining this sort of beginner's mind approach to what a project could be. And so, for example, you mentioned uh, REM Coolhouse and the Seattle Public Library and how it's still gave you that inspiring sense that it felt like a democratic public space. And that was 10 years of as an experience. So I'm curious, how do you keep yourself fresh and excited? Where are you getting inspiration from?
2: I, I think it's incredibly difficult. And so in the case of Rimkula House, and, and not to state the Seattle Public Library was of course a huge effort among a massive team between the architects and various consultants um, and all those people had uh, very important input on that project. And I think that is what in part makes a project stay fresh. Uh, Specifically, you know, as an example, their office functions in a way of, you know, having interns output like hundreds of models. Um, So it's very difficult as um, a small practice. it's also balancing the business aspect versus the making aspect. Um, I'll be honest, I I think it is a very difficult thing, but I think it's very important because I have been teaching. I do, uh, you know, I think that's always an opportunity to, um, you know, be working on a brief for a studio project and be thinking about something differently. But also just being in that space, you're always seeing different kinds of uh, different ideas. And I think that's really important. You're, You're also become a very good critic. You know, it's like that. that's a very important part of what you do as an architect.
1: Yeah, I, I think what's our opportunity or what we try to do here is that hopefully everybody who collaborates with us on projects within our studio, um, we're hopefully giving them the, the opportunity to contribute to projects in the same way that Emily or I might so that there isn't one design author ever, if we're doing this right, that everybody has a voice and they're always bringing ideas. And I think that's one way to stay um, relevant or fresh or new and sort of avoid getting stale, that you don't have this one author who thinks that they um, should have the entire voice of the firm, that you have multiple voices bringing new ideas and. And mm-hmm. we're always bringing in fresh ideas mm-hmm. and fresh staff to contribute to that. And if we if we're doing that correctly, I think we can avoid becoming stale. I, and, and I think it's also just it, sort of looking at the city mm-hmm. and um, always questioning when we see things around us becoming stale. Like, well, we we don't want to fall into
2: that trap. Yeah, I mean, I and I mean, I do think. Uh, looking at art is really important. Um, like we, go to the, we, we used to go to the Bemis Art Talks all the time. And I found that incredibly important because oftentimes the artists would talk about their process of how they think about something and how that turns into something, um, whether it's a performance or a physical thing. Like I find that incredibly interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I think engaging with the, the local art community has been really important to us. And I think it's been the the most surprising and exciting thing about moving from New York City to Omaha is that we've had the fortune of landing here on Vinton Street um, just through previous relationships that we had the opportunity to purchase this building. And during that same period of time, um, we've had multiple galleries and art spaces open in this neighborhood and getting connected with that group of people, um, making sure that we are um, going to openings and going to artist talks and hearing about their process. It's much more fulfilling than say, going to architecture lectures and hearing about what our own profession does.
2: Because a lot, a lot of the, there's a lot of tropes, like things that you just see over and over again, and, like ideas and it's like, oh my God, I can't. I mean, it's just like you you get so used to the same speak and it gets really old. Um, I mean, you can always take something good out of most talks anyway. Like there's always something you can learn.
0: Let me, in that case, then grant you a wish. And that wish is you can design any project that you want to. What is your dream project?
1: A neighborhood. Given the runway, um, I, I think we would always gravitate towards, instead of doing like a particular building type, like a museum, for instance, we're always interested in the potential of our profession to craft cities. And and I think the neighborhood scale is the most interesting that we get to um, think about. It's not quite utopia, Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's a whole other conversation, but I I think the opportunity to really craft what the city could be or what a neighborhood can be is always the most um, interesting thing to me or has the most potential to get it um, reflecting what we think our studio practice stands for, um, that we're balancing both architecture and urban design. I I think the longer that we've been here, we've had more and more opportunities to contribute to that, um, whether it's just through dialogue and conversation, but um, even recent work that's in the studio, we're seeing more of those opportunities to work at that scale. Because um, I, th- I think it's important not just for the identification or how a city sees itself, um, but for sustainable goals and is mm-hmm. what's good for the health of the city
2: mm-hmm. and the people who live there. Okay, I think that's a good answer.
0: <laughs> oh, are you going along with that one, Emily? Yeah, so sure. You, you,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> let, let, me, let me just very briefly ask him, should every city, and I certainly include Omaha in this, but should every city have an architect someone that can at least lead the conversation about what the city and certainly what each neighborhood should feel like for the people that live there?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes and no. Like um, Selfishly, I would say yes, that we want to be informing that, but it does have to take into account a multitude of voices. I would argue that it's got to be a combination of that top down and and bottom-up to get there. Mm -hmm. Because uh, otherwise, if you're relying on that singular voice, um, our our profession has screwed that up in the past, and do see it And how neighborhoods and cities have evolved over time. At the same time, if you rely on that strictly bottom-up community engagement approach, you're working with a lot of people who maybe aren't expert in what we do, I don't think that's necessarily the approach either. I think it's this in between. Mm-hmm. A- an architect or urban designer is facilitating that conversation mm-hmm. with their expertise.
2: I mean, I, I think, especially in Omaha, I, I mean, I, uh, you know, much of our city has been designed by engineers, for like road engineering effectively. So I would say that we do need to have other considerations. Um, It's a very dated way to uh, look at what a city should be. It's just how do you move cars through. Um, Yeah, I I think ideally that there's somebody um, asking questions of like, what else do we need to be looking at? Those are really important questions. Yeah. So
0: my guests today have been architects emily anderson and jeff de old co-founders of DeOld old anderson architecture thank you so much both of you for being on the show today thank, thank you
2: sir it's great to be here <laughs> yeah this is super fun it's going to be somewhat like complete it'll be completely inarticulate probably
0: <laughs> those are my favourite well, if, if it makes you feel lame <laughs> that's the end of this week's show you can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at livesradioshow The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Live's radio show and podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more.